Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And uh, throwing that giant Batman logo up because why not? (laughs) uh no yeah you know it's it's gonna be one of those things we are talking about the batman tonight the new movie uh, from matt reeves starring robert pattinson as bruce wayne and batman um the embargo on reviews lifted this morning the movie does not start until this weekend uh, this coming weekend, the 4th. So we're not going to talk spoilers tonight. We're Spoiler going to light. try to be... Yeah, we're going to try to be as broad and as... careful and and generic as we can. <laughs> so, you know, just right. that. So, uh, anyway, but yeah, we're, we're going to talk to Batman tonight. And uh, and see see what we can see. So I don't know. Well, it's uh, over on over on Rotten Tomatoes. The score already eighty seven percent. Critics uh, find it a favorable. We're getting favorable reviews. Uh, Metacritic at seventy two out of a hundred. Uh, generally favorable reviews based on 46 critic reviews. No, uh, no user score there yet. And hopefully <clears throat> the Snyder Cut people won't come in and review bomb it. It's, it's actually, uh, it's got some, it's got some potential to, to have some legs, I think. It, you know, you're in... There's a risk with Batman movies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, talk about, you know, one of the most well-trod path yeah. of the superhero film. Uh, certainly a very, very impressive uh, impact on the culture. You know, 1989's Batman. Um, really, you know, it, it, it was for all the fact that there was a big gap uh, it really was the dawn of the superhero film as a big thing after, you know, just you had to go back to, you know, Superman uh, yeah. and, you know, Superman too. Um, but there's, you could argue that there are only so many Batman stories you can tell um, in a cinematic <laughs> frame. I mean, yeah, uh, as, but... a, as a, you know, as a comic book where you've got, you know, you can tell, 12 issues of story or, or 30 issues of story, you know, build this big stuff. You have a certain amount of time mm-hmm. in a movie and there's this whole set of shorthand that goes with Batman movies. And yet mm-hmm. we're 30 minutes into this film and I lean over to you and I'm like, you know, what we haven't seen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, which I, which is a, a strength and a weakness. And what I'm referring to, of course, and again, a, minor spoilers, and I, you can't really talk about a film without giving some things away. Um, we're we're going to try know. to give away as little as possible, though, because you really need to go into this as cold as you can. 
because it's yeah, such I, a I think, different experience than any other Batman movie that you've seen. Well, yeah, and I think that I think that's both a strength and a weakness of the movie. Yeah. Um, and and I think that that the thing I'm referring to, and I think this might actually be, and this is this is a tiny little spoilery bit. Um, there's there's something you don't see in this movie that you have seen in every other Batman movie. Yeah. Not just every um, other that, Batman movie, but every other animated version of Batman as well. Right. Because yeah. So, yeah. even, even cause we were talking about it and I said, even the super friends did it. You don't see the iconic scene of a young Bruce Wayne leaving a theater with his parents and what follows. That's not in this movie. That's not what this movie's about. This movie makes an assumption that you know who Batman is. And to be fair, the target audience for this movie is pretty aware of who Batman is and how Batman came to be. There's not you know, a whole it's, lot of... It's but, funny. But what inspired him to do this? Yeah, but it's funny you mention that because as we, as we sat and we're watching this thing and we're kicking around all of the different elements from all of the different places where, where things had come from story-wise, this movie... On one level, on the surface level, anybody who, who has, if you've never read a Batman comic book before, you're going to do fine. You, you, everything is there. All of the right. pieces are there. It is very much a detective story. Uh, Dave asking if it's a neo-noir Batman. Um, not in terms of, if, well, if, if you took the color out and made it black and white, maybe. I think you could probably argue that it's in a sort of noir style, but not entirely so. So, so the thing about neo-noir is it is a very broad catch-all term. Okay, yeah. uh, Dark City, which is a science fiction movie, is neo-noir. Um, part, you could argue that the first Matrix has elements of neo-noir baked into it. Um, Blade Runner? Noir... Noir storytelling. There's two. There's there's two ways to look at noir. First of all, noir is a film style. It's a lighting style. Mm. And yes, if they made this film black and white, I think because of some of the contrast, it's hard shadows, bright areas of light, deep areas of of, of blackness on the screen uh, to, to contrast. It's a very dynamic, very uh, uh, um, stark visual style. There are times in this film where it definitely leans into that. Noir storytelling, I'm a film noir guy, just who I am, um, is often, not all, it's not limited to, but it's off, it's limited, it's generally a damaged male character, a dangerous female character, mm -hmm. a corrupt city, poor choices, <laughs> and the consequences these lead to. It's like some of the core elements of most film noir movies. Right. Now, this, of course, is something you're not limited to film noir. And they're it's, all in this movie. They're all in this movie. So there's, there's, uh, we keep, I keep, we've been hearing it's a, it's a very noir Batman movie. And yes and no. Yeah. It has a lot more in common for me with like the 1970s crime thrillers. Yes, There's... very much so. And, and and it's it's not so much like that as Joker was. Because all all of the impression that you get from Joker is that this could be this could fit in with 
a Scorsese thing or any of the stuff from the 70s like uh, the, the Seven Ups or the French Connection or, or Bullet or any of those, that, that 70s crime thriller, um, uh, Dirty Harry type thing. And this one, I can see where you're, where you're saying that this could fit in with that kind of thing with the crime thriller. Um, the only... The only quibble that I have with that <clears throat> is that 70s crime thrillers were paced a little bit faster. Right. And I think and that we'll get there's... to that, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's do and, overall and impressions is... first, but, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and an overall impression is that it is. Um, a very solid, very more grounded than usual for a Batman movie. Mm -hmm. Even more um, so than the Nolan films, really. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a there's a stripped down nature to this that even though you have some toys, there's it's a Batman movie, you got to have some of the toys. Sure. Um, they're a lot less... Um, Fantastical. Fantastical. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a little more uh, reality-based kind of feel to it uh, to some degree. I mean, there's still the, the ludicrous idea of a guy dressing up as a bat going out and fighting crime. And, <laughs> um, and one of, one of my quibbles with the movie um, is there's, and it, it becomes more uh, magnified when you're, when you're making things more grounded is that, um, a lot of people shoot at him in this movie and <laughs> he doesn't actually get bullet holes in him and some kind there, of body armor and the body armor. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the body armor idea, mm -hmm. but there's also a whole lot of spray and pray in the, in our villains in this movie where they're just, <laughs> Nick, some of these guys have machine guns and they're just letting loose and statistically, yeah, yeah, he should have he should have been shot in the face a couple of times in this thing. I mean, it's the sequences are actually really cool, and it it really you know it it there's there's an interesting so the bat suit has of course evolved over time. Michael Keaton, of course, famously not being able to move his neck, turn his head, yeah. you know, which made for that. <clears throat> um, yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and of course, the Christopher Nolan films, you have a lot more flexibility. And, and of course, you get into the Snyder movies and, and Affleck can move his head around a lot more. Here, it's very consciously designed to be a suit that you can move in. But also, it, and it, when you consider just how slender Robert Pattinson actually is, yeah, he's a tall, thin guy. I mean, he's got muscle, but he's not bulky. And so when you look at him in the suit, you can sit there and go, there's a certain amount of layering here. He's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not, the suit has mass. And so it visually kind of plays to the idea that, you know, it's got protection. And, and you see that throughout the film where it's, you know, the film actually takes the, the, the suit actually takes some abuse. Yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, it, that's every Batman movie. I mean, the fact is, is that Michael Keaton should have been mowed down <laughs> well, a dozen and, times in 1989. And if you if you look at 
around the neck. I mean, you've got this you've got this collar surrounding. So it's mm-hmm. not the the mask doesn't because normally the cowl and this goes all the way back even to Adam West time. The cowl comes down and goes into the cape area, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's over the cape or it becomes part of the cape or something. This one here, you've got the cape and the collar. You've got the cape coming in behind the bat symbol, the, behind the emblem, the chest plates there. And you've got this high collar, and then the mask goes down underneath it. So it's not attached, at least from the look here, it's not attached to anything. And I think probably this design here has has given us probably the maximum amount of of movement and flexibility that any bat costume has has had so far yeah and 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 that and that ridge i mean also serves as another form of armor yeah protects you know there's vulnerable places um that you know that that's other place that that blocks a blow i mean it's a it's a fairly well thought out and yet still has that early days building it as I go mm-hmm. design, which considering the, the, the premise of, of the film is this is not a, a this is a Batman who's been in year two. Yeah. He's been doing well, this. And, and it's funny. For a little while, but we, not, he's not. We talked about, we talked about the various different things that we noticed throughout the story that are, elements from various different story arcs that you know i say on the surface level if you're watching this it's a batman movie you've never watched you've never read a comic book you're going to be fine below that level deeper the people who have been reading batman comics for nigh on 15 20 30 40 years now will be familiar with they'll recognize a lot of elements and I think I think Matt Reeves was very smart about this because he doesn't lift entire storylines so much as he pulls particular elements, little right. bits and pieces of lots of different stories. And it was funny about halfway through, we're like, "Oh, that's that's this one, and that's this one. Oh, that's this one." Oh, he's pulling from that one too. Oh, okay. But I mean, you look even with the design of the costume. This this here is reminiscent to me of uh, Gotham by Gaslight. It's not really steampunkish, but Gotham by Gaslight is really the only time that we've seen Batman in a cape that has a collar on it. You know that 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 Elizabethan time period where he's got where he's got that. And I look at this and I think, oh, that's Gotham by Gaslight. That's weird. There's a there's a lot. There is a very real sense that that everybody involved really looked at a, a huge chunk of the Batman history, yeah, and said, what what can we take and put in this world, which is the modern world. This is this is uh, essentially the now, yeah, um, and yet have it evoke so much of the eighty year history of Batman, and without it being so much information that somebody you could still walk into this movie knowing nothing about batman which i mean 
if you're living in the modern world, that's hard. <laughs> I, I'm aware, but you could walk into this, and there you're not going to be lost. The stuff that's in there that the longtime comic reader fans will get is not so critical to the story as to derail it for yeah. someone without that knowledge. And the other part of that is it's not so esoteric that only comic book readers are going to get it. it the, everything is dropped in organically to the story that Matt Reeves is telling. It's not like he's sitting there going, oh, let's do this part and let's do this part and let's wink at the audience and go, remember when we did this in the comics? He's not doing any of that. He's taking these things and he's organically putting them into the story where they fit the best mm -hmm. and doing it. And he's telling an original-ish story, but it's one of those, it's, it's almost like this is the seasoning on the top, you know? Right. It, I mean, it's, if, you're, it's if not, you're familiar with, if you're familiar with some of the some of the really highly critically acclaimed Batman story arcs, yeah, um, and and quite frankly, saying that the film has some ins takes some inspiration from the Long Halloween, it's been all over every like free thing. Yeah. You know, there, everybody talks about it, so you can see those elements in this film. But if you've never read the Long Halloween or its sequel, you are not going to sit there and go, "I don't understand what's going on." Yeah, you won't get lost it, in this. It looks at it and says, okay, what works out mm -hmm. of this and how can that translate into, again, translate to a different medium, comics to film, yeah. things are going to change. It just has to. Yeah. Well, and so I think it's, I think it's very, they did a very good job that with this script. Uh, Wolverine 66 says, hate that collar on Batman. I, I'm, I'm not thrilled it with on. it, but... Taking a look at it, the longer I look at it, the more sense it makes in this particular point in his chronology. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because, you know, it's like you're saying, this is this is very much a year one, year two type of thing. Um, I've seen a lot of people comparing it to year one. Um, some year two stuff. Uh, do we want to get into all of the different stories that we're, that we're pulling from here or do, we do you want to do that after the break? I want to go back to, to Wolverine 626 is how grounded are we talking about? Question. Yeah. Um, so there's two ways to answer this question. One is what the people involved in making the film have said. And that is, they've said, Patterson said it, um, there's this sense that they're not going to worry about that right now because it's not part of the story they're telling right as far as and superman would, showing up and that kind of thing yeah, yeah and and so so bringing in these these additional um the, the more super powered or magic powered um aspects of the dc universe doesn't doesn't currently it's not currently in in the story there the the batman tale they're telling could it be brought in? They've both said yes. Matt Reeves has said yes. It's just that's not their that's not their that's not really what they're thinking about. The you know, at the same time, he's said that he'd kind of like to bring in Mr. Freeze. I mean, so you're, you know, mm -hmm. you, you you can tell they're at least considering the possibility. Yes, I think honestly, I think you could bring superheroes into I mean the superpowered superheroes into this world. Yeah. 
because of the contrast you would end up having between this kind of grounded Batman and someone fantastical like Superman. There and is I a, think that that would be interesting. Yeah, there's a story. Uh, Kevin J. Anderson wrote a book called Enemies and Allies. Mm. That's a Superman-Batman first meeting in the early 1940s, the late 30s, early mm -hmm. 40s. And it's this same kind of feel to it because you have, because a lot of in, uh, a lot of what's in that book, <clears throat> because of the, because of the nature of Superman having powers, he can fly and all of these things. Everybody is suspicious of him as a, an agent of the Soviet Union. He's he's not they're not looking at it as he's an alien. They don't believe that story. That's oh that's just bunk. They don't believe he's an alien. And and you see the thought process that Batman goes through trying to figure out how Superman does the things he does. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point suspects that he's got a jetpack under the under the under the cape. You know, so so you could do that same kind of thing here with this groundedness in this Batman world, um, because it does it. You could you could do something where Batman is like, I don't know how he's doing it. I'm gonna figure it out, and the whole well, alien thing. You, you really Zack Snyder really leaned into alien in his stuff. You don't necessarily have to do that with this. You could just say, "Oh, he flies," and not not get into the to the the busyness of right. alien from another world. You know, more powerful than a locomotive and all of that. So it's it's dual. Give me give me two more Batman movies in this universe to cement the character to give him his world. Yeah, and then bring it if you want to bring it now. This is an Elseworlds title. This is the DC. This is the DC universe's plan right now, right? This mm -hmm. is their. They are not building a single universe where everyone shares space. So you don't. Which might or might not be a good idea. Right. Well, yeah, this is true. Um, but quite frankly, considering their initial run of things, <laughs> I have no objections to this. Um, and and to be honest, right now you can go out and pick up DC comics that are taking place in alternate realities to the current the main timeline right now and mm -hmm. so it's it's an established thing that dc's been doing for ever well not ever but a long time and the flash of two worlds um but the idea of bringing in in additional you know characters for the dc universe it's it hasn't been ruled out by the people behind it i don't necessarily i'm not in a rush to have it happen yeah i'm not either I'm curious um, to see what they do with this, where they go from, where they go after this, after this. Second. Oh yeah. Well, and I, I think you're quite right in the sense that there is a, um, because it's, it's, does it's built as a detective movie mm -hmm. really more than anything else. Um, that, 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 that approach to Batman dealing with Superman is investigation. Yeah. I think would be, would be very appropriate. And I think this being, this is probably the most, and that was the thing that really, you know, trip my antenna at the very beginning when they said this is going to be a this is going to be batman as a detective and i thought ooh, we haven't seen that in the movies uh, it has not really been a focus 
Uh, I mean, Keaton's did it a little bit with the with the chemistry stuff in the first movie, but you don't you don't really see him do it. You he's done it, and here's the file, and give it to Gordon. But mm-hmm. this one, when they were saying this was going to be a detective story, that really intrigued me, and it and it really is. It, there is a lot of figuring things out along the way, and uh, and and. To Christopher's question here, how Paul Dano is as the Riddler, uh, said uh, was turned off by the costume. wasn't expecting a question mark suit and bowler, but it doesn't seem iconic. Just hap dash zodiacs knockoff. And I, I would say, and I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to get roasted for this or not by whoever the powers that be. I don't think the Riddler showed up in this movie. <clears throat> Maybe a Riddler prototype. So, and and I know Matt Reeves has come out and said this is very much a villain's origin story. You've got the Penguin, you've got Catwoman, you've got Riddler, and I can see where he's coming from with that. Um, but I. This is not this is not the Riddler that I was expecting. I'll say that. Well, yes, and I think that's I think that's fair. And I also think it is the pro and con of making it a more grounded, realistic, realistic. Let's air quote here to be fair. <laughs> um, realistically placed Batman, mm-hmm. because your colorful costumed villains don't fit in this world these this is a world where the one of the primary villains of the film is a crime boss one of the primary villains in the broader sense is the corrupt city government it's a corrupt law enforcement you know corrupt district attorney's office corrupt these are all this is not spoiler this is stuff that we've seen in gotham city that's been part of the gotham city makeup for decades right but you have this this sense of the biggest threat to Gotham is not a costumed villain. It's the systemic issues with the city that make everything hard for everybody and breed crime. And of course, here comes, here comes someone to try and fight that in in a suit, but he's not, his biggest threats are not, you know, uh, um, a guy in a bowler hat with a question mark. His biggest threats are more reality, reality based. Air quotes again. Um, so the problem is, is that if you do that, this is it's like Zack Snyder in Man of Steel. Okay, <laughs> I am I am very famous. Like, we've mentioned this a bazillion times. Yeah. But if you're going to sit there and say, what happened? What would happen if two Kryptonians were to fight in a major city space? Yeah. Well. You'd kill thousands. Goodbye, city space. Yeah. Um, and and so in some ways we have the same problem here or the same limitation here. You're you're going to have a more reality based joke. Uh, 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 almost. <laughs> we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, uh, a reality based rip. Yeah. A reality based Riddler. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's it's. Where the Riddler goes from here is the question. 
and that's oh that was that was not intended to be <laughs> um but but that's really the what question happens. could show right. up it, this is this uh, the question would fit into this world very well yeah. i would love yeah. to see vic sage or renee montoya's question uh, either one showing up in well, this would be fantastic. yeah but you can't you can't get renee montoya without vic sage i would say yes <laughs> and quite frankly i'd rather see renee montoya's question in the like the universe they're building with Shazam and Justice Society mm. because there's more magic in that universe and then there's an element to Montoya's story that involves yeah. magic that I'd want to see. But um, the, the original question, how is Paul Dano in this movie? He's great. I think he did a fantastic job. He is a very interesting actor and he, within the context of this version of the Riddler, mm-hmm. He does a fantastic job. He's very, um, he's an interesting character with motivations that are logical in the context of the story. Yeah. Which is not always the case for villains. And the fact that he's having to do that in the costume that he's in, uh, that speaks to his skill as well. Uh, well, and there was this, you saw this stuff where, where, of course, people who write headlines, you need to be just sat down and explained how <laughs> headline, that's not how you do headlines. We're talking about how he was traumatized by being in his mask. He's like, no, that's not what he said. He said it was a difficult experience because it's a full headpiece and it was tiring. And, and it's yeah. just like, like any actor who's forced to act in, in that kind of restriction, the fact that he gives the performance that he does through all of this um is he he does a he does a fine job i think he's he's a good villain for this movie mm-hmm. but he's not the riddler that you you are familiar with in, I, you know, it, I think he's an it's it's an interesting choice to lead with the riddler as the first villain in mm-hmm. the movie i mean you've got the penguin in there you've got catwoman and you almost have batman 66 movie with the cast that you have, because you have Batman, you have Catwoman, you have Riddler, you have you have Penguin. Um, I, at one point, just in a moment of whimsy, I thought, what if Commodore Schmidlap shows up just just <laughs> in a cameo, just for something, just as a, as a nod and a wink? I mean, how many elements we're pulling from all of these other stories? You know, we've got Year One, Earth One, you know, uh, it, Long Halloween, and and I thought, you know. <laughs> I want to see Commodore Schmid laugh. Uh, Wolverine 626 says, uh, I'd love to see characters like Clayface and Man Bat done in live action, not by James Gunn, please. <laughs> but but I mean, James, I don't think James Gunn would be the, the director to, to tackle those characters anyway. No, I think, I mean, that's, no. that's not, that's not what he, that's not the, the, uh, the aesthetic that he enjoys out of superhero stories. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's, Getting some of Clayface and and Man Bat, there's an element of the DC universe that is kind of pushing into the horror space, right? Mm, yeah. And I think that that doing some of that um, with those characters, I think, would work really well. And I think that honestly, give it another couple of films, and this Batman, this version of Batman, could be part of that. Um, but yeah. again, I, I think that you really give it a few more, a couple yeah, more films. Yeah, in you have this. to earn it. You have to earn it. Yeah, because yeah. I think that I think that you've got especially if you're going to start off like this, if you're going to sit there and go, this is a giant metropolitan space that is damaged. And the visual aesthetic of, of Gotham city is 
in the best Batman movies, Gotham City as a character. Mm -hmm. And I think they do a pretty good job of making Gotham City have a character here. Yeah. In a broad sense, right? If you've, if you've ever traveled to a city, uh, some of the older cities, if you've ever been to London or New York or, or Chicago or, or Philadelphia, or if you've been, you know, or, or, or Paris, if you're one of these places, all of these places have a feeling to them. They have a, mm-hmm. uh, they have a, uh, uh, it's their personality to a degree. Yeah. And this film gives you a sense of that. By also by by basically taking New York and London, and going, <laughs> <laughs> and dropping it on the Jersey Shore, <clears throat> and dropping it on which the is, Jersey which Shore, which is actually you know which is canon, which is which is where Gotham City is supposed to be is in New Jersey. But now that I'm thinking about it, because we saw there were there were maps in there and all of these things. Now that I'm thinking about it, next, I I want to go back and see it again because I want to see if. Metropolis is across the water. Mm. I want to see just to see if they even did it. That over there in the background, it's there. I, you know, I'm I'm curious about that now because, you know, given given that Metropolis is essentially the day and night version between Metropolis and Gotham City, and you can still have the Daily Planet and Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Perry White, and all of that, and you know Lex Luthor and all of that over there. Without the the fantastical element of Superman, mm-hmm. would Metropolis be over there? And I, I'm curious now because I didn't I didn't I wasn't even paying attention. I didn't even think to look. Right. Uh, but now now I'm thinking eh, it might be something might be something to take a look at. All right. So Wolverine has asked a question about Batmobiles. We're going to take a real quick break, and when we get back, we'll start talking about Batmobiles and some of the action sets in this film. Uh, and, and some, some of our stuff. some of our uh, criticisms. Yes, yes, because we do have a few of those. We do have a few. We do. Have yes. a few. All right. So we'll be right back after this. Don't go anywhere. We are vengeance. We are the night. We are sci-fi for me. <coughs> sci-fi for me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Live from the bunker, Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back on the H2O podcast. I think I have gotten over whatever it was that was tying up my tongue to make me say H2O project. I haven't I haven't stumbled into that lately. I I tell you, I don't know what that was. Ah, okay, so a couple of questions that have been in here in the in the chat that we haven't addressed. Wolverine has asked about Batmobiles, and then we also got a question from Dave about the score from Michael Giacchino. And I, I want to get to the Batmobile question first, 
and then circle back to Giacchino's score because I have some things right. to say about Giacchino's score. Um, okay, so let me pop this question up here. <clears throat> uh, he says, now that you've seen the Batman, I'm curious as to what your top Batmobiles are in live action. Batman Returns. That's that's your top that's your top Batmobile. The Batmobile from Batman Returns. I love the one from I love the one from Batman. Okay, and 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 quite frankly, okay. So this Batmobile is a souped-up car. I like it. You've seen it in the trailers, yeah. and 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 it's it's, but it's not a. It's less a Batmobile, as it is a. I need to get around the city fast. Yeah. And and there's some charm to that. It's a cool looking vehicle. I mean, I think it, 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 it looks, looks great. Like, it's an, it's, it looks like it's built off of like maybe a, a Dodge Challenger type of chassis. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very it's a very constructed like the suit. Yeah. It's a I'm building a thing that's functional. It doesn't have to be pretty or cool. What I like about it is that it's it's one of those things and we talked about this the you know all of all of the different things the props and the and the gear and and all of that if if, if you had something like this in in the real world mm-hmm. and if you were having to put all this stuff together yourself on the sly you you buy a car you know you buy the you buy a dodge challenger you take it apart you throw the extra jet engine into the back for, you know, how, however Wayne got a hold of that. But the rest of it is I'm going to take eBay. I'm going to take sheet metal and I'm going to plaster it all over this car. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it looks very much and it, I hate to compare it to the A-team. But you remember those shows where they took all of these metal plates and attached it to right, the bus, right. and now you've got an armor-plated bus? Same kind well, of thing. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a question of this is again we're looking at we're looking at the kind of story we're telling here. We're not telling we're not telling a superhero story. We're telling a crime story where the main character dresses up in a costume to be intimidating. It's yeah. a different you know it's less a superhero story than it is a detective film. Um, and so it's more, it's more practical as opposed to cool comic book thing, which is nothing wrong. Like I said, Batman returns, the Batmobile is, it's just a little bit different than the first Batmobile. Mm -hmm. It's not quite as a little, I don't know. I'm not saying that I say too far because it certainly Batmobiles always look kind of cool as much as I enjoy the Tumblr. The tumbler is one of those things where you look at it and go, "How did the no tumbler, one notice?" The tumbler is Dark Knight Return stuff. Yeah, and and I mean it's 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 a cool vehicle. I don't I don't I mean those sequences are the, with the all the sequences of the tumbler are very cool, but um, it also is it's a way of looking at things in a grounded way that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not my favorite Batmobile. Yeah, you know. Well, I I I can see where Nolan was coming from, where a lot of this stuff comes out of military R and D, because 
a lot of stuff comes out of military R&D. I mean, things that we use every day in life now comes out of either the space program or military research. So it's not unusual. I was I was never put off by the idea that the Tumblr started off as some kind of a military thing. Oh, I, and, didn't and I'm either. not saying you were you were either. I'm I'm just saying it's just my my some people are. Thought. There, there's I've seen I've seen some valid criticisms of of Batman the Nolan Batman films Batman being too much of a uh, soldier versus a mm-hmm. detective of a and and again it's just no one was telling a certain kind of story yeah and yeah. and one of the great things about characters like batman is that you can put that kind of character in a lot of different kinds of stories i think that's one of the reasons because we've talked about the the success of the marvel movies has been that you're not telling superhero comic book movies so much as you have the spy thriller you have the you know all of the different types you've got the heist mm-hmm. movie and you got all these different things with now with superheroes now with superheroes you know, that's the costume that this heist movie is wearing you know ant-man's a heist movie uh and and all of those kind of things where you know captain america is a period piece war movie uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's not like, you know, we're taking, you know, three days of the condor and putting red, white, and blue costume on the guy. And, you know, there's that kind of thing. And I think this, right. this particular Batman movie does the same kind of thing where mm-hmm. we're telling a detective story. And if you take Bruce Wayne out of the suit and he's... Sam Spade, for example, it could still work because it's primarily a figure mm-hmm. them out who done it. Right. And and we're we're back to the some of that film noir aesthetic there yeah. because you know you've you've even you've even got the dangerous woman. You've got the the mm-hmm. you know the, femme the corrupt the, the, the a corrupt DA and crooked cops were always part of the film noir world. Yeah. Uh, in in large part, you'd find characters where the main character was had been a uh, corrupt uh, DA or you know in in uh, the police department. Yeah. And to some degree, you end up with the character of Bruce Wayne can in this film can easily fit into the noir aesthetic in that regard. So. Right. And and Wolverine says the Tumblr is his least favorite um, aesthetically. I It's not my least favorite. <laughs> I still it's, like Batman 66 Batmobile. Oh, well, yeah. I, I mean, mean come on. there's a certain there's a certain it's, it's always going to have a place in my heart. Yes. But in terms of like because I mean the the really the first time we see the Batmobile in 89 um, and then the, re- the the not huge refinements they made in Batman Returns, but there were some. This looked a lot like what you could expect to see in the comics. Mm-hmm. And so, as somebody who was, you know, and we going have, to the comic and we have which... kind of seen this this sort of Batmobile in oh, the sure. comic. Oh yeah, I like the so, fact I mean, that you... that the entry of the of the Batmobile is similar to the entrance of Batman coming out of the shadows. Oh yeah, <laughs> like well, in this film, yeah. And the thing is, is that you've you've seen like. He's working on an engine. 
you've seen here's a car thing and this is stuff in the trailers this isn't like but but then when you first see the car it's like the look on people's faces when the when the car is revealed in the movie mm-hmm. is like what's happening <laughs> yeah, here what is that <laughs> like, what's it that? was it was a, it was a well-crafted yeah. scene uh, yeah. i thought um yeah. so should we talk real quickly about the uh, the question that Wolverine 66 has about the Waynes? Because we can do, I think we can do it without being spoilery. Um, yeah, we can, we can do that one. Uh, and then, and then I want to get into to Dave's question about, uh, about the score, because that, sure, sure. that I think well, that, that a, could lead us a, into the quibbles and the criticisms right, that we have. Here. Right. Um, so the, mm, so the he film says the trailers made the it Waynes... look like the Waynes look corrupt. And right. How the much, film makes how the Waynes human. <clears throat> they're not, they're not, uh, um, there's a, there's a, there's a particular plot point. I, we, we gotta be careful about this because mm-hmm. this is, this is one of those things. There is a particular plot point that we have seen before if anybody is familiar with the long halloween you will you will recognize the history that's referenced here in this film mm-hmm. and the way that thomas and martha are treated comes out of that it's an extension of something of that it it does i think the waynes are still treated with respect but like Tim says, it, you know they are they are human in this. They're not idealized right. ghosts of Christmas past like we've seen in all these others. What would what would Dad do? You know, there there's there's not a whole lot of angst there because you know even between Alfred and Bruce, Alfred's like you needed a dad and I wasn't your dad because we've always had this father son relationship between Bruce and Alfred. And that's kind of not really here. There's, there's more of the Batman Earth One in this. So I think there's elements of that in here, but I also think that we we'll get we'll get to an Alfred quibble here in a minute. But I think part of that is is how they use Alfred in the film. Yeah. Um, I think I think the Waynes are treated with respect, but they're not on a pedestal. Yeah. And I think that a lot of versions of the Batman story have the Waynes being on a pedestal. And that's not a bad thing. It's just this is a way of looking at them. And 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 the world that they've built here, this Gotham City, this environment. And there's a theme in the film about the stories we tell ourselves. And I think every character in the film has an aspect of that going on. The stories we tell ourselves to get through the day, yeah. uh, uh, survive the world I'm living in, to have a hope or a, a cause or something. There's a there, that's kind of a theme in the movie. All of these characters are doing that to some degree. Yeah, and so the idea of how Bruce looks at his parents versus how the rest of the city looks at the parent his parents, and how the people who knew his parents look at his parents aren't all the same thing. And that actually kind of gives them maybe a little more depth than some versions of them. Yeah, I, I still I agree. Li- I think... Linus Roche's uh, um, 
uh, Bruce Wayne is still going to be one of my favorite performances. But <laughs> I like I like the dimension that we mm. get for the Waynes in this particular movie. I mean, there's like you said, in every other film, we get the death scene. You know, we get shot in the alley and that's really, you know, that really makes Thomas and Martha, these two dimensional function characters. They're NPCs. They're not, they're not part of it. Whereas in this one, they're people that, that it doesn't drive the story, but there's a reveal that does affect the story and it takes them out of, you know, like you said, it takes them off that pedestal and it puts them, it, it makes them real people. I think maybe for the first time in any of the films, especially. Well, I think in, in many ways, because they're not meant to be, the focus is not Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. It's Bruce Wayne and Batman. Right. And so the idea here is that, if you're looking at a motivation for a character, in this case, Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. having that motivation be having the reasons and the, and the whys and the wares of that motivation not be a very flat two-dimensional postcard thing. Yeah has some benefit. And I think that this, this film, I, I, I mentioned this at the end, this was a surprisingly hopeful Batman movie. It is. It's a, it, which is, which is not something you get to say a lot about, <laughs> about, about film noir tinged yeah. detective movies and driven by 1970s crime film. It as, is, you know, it is a hopeful Batman film, but boy, did they take a long time to get there. <laughs> Now, Christopher says, "I'm glad to hear the Waynes aren't untouchable bastions of virtue. They're they're not. They're they're real they're human. They're they're human beings. They're they're real people in this one, and that and that's good. All right. Um, so, score. <laughs> Let's talk score because Dave asked about the score. There so is there is no score. I, I I actually want to listen to the soundtrack <laughs> album because there are essentially three pieces of music in this movie. Yeah, and they use them okay." But okay is as far as I'm going to go. So as as somebody who has been uh, a musician pretty much most of my life in some way, shape or form, as somebody who has composed music uh, for a wind, a wind ensemble, not not a not an orchestra, but the wind, the wind symphony type, you know, the, the high school band and whatnot. I listened to this, and and I even said this when the first trailers came out, and we started hearing the music, and I said, oh, he's repurposed the Imperial March. You know, it's Darth Vader's theme. Bah, 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 bah. I was like, why are you doing that? Why, Why are you doing Darth Vader's theme for Batman? And my biggest quibble and i i don't i don't want to say it's quibble it's a complaint Mm. is that 
for all of the times where Batman is being Batman, right? You know, you're in the middle of the confrontation or the whatever, and he's about to he's about to do the he's about to do his Batman thing. Here comes this ponderous, dark, slow Darth Vader theme. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm... This, this is probably I, the most disappointing Giacchino score I have ever heard. That's why I really want to hear the whole soundtrack, because it feels like there's got to be more to it. There has to that be. That just wasn't used in the movie, because yeah. it seems like there... And, and there, I think there are times when that particular, you know, what, four notes? Um, Something like that, yeah. Is actually used effectively, but... Um, you really have only three pieces of music in this movie, and and when when they are effective, they're very effective. But yeah, there's three pieces in this movie: Ave Maria, um, which I think is used. They use Ave Maria in some interesting ways, and I think I think overall that works. Um, they use the uh, um, Kurt Cobain song fairly effectively. Um, I think it's an interesting song in terms of, of applying it to a Batman movie. And I think it, but I think it holds up overall most of the time. The weakest part is when you get to the Batman theme. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking. Does the score I'm, scream Batman, or is it like Zimmer's Man of Steel? <laughs> I'm looking okay. at. Uh, I'm looking Neither at a. One? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at a track list right now. Mm -hmm. There are 29 tracks on this on the score album yeah I, i'm sure there's there's a, a deeper richer where where are they where i i didn't hear i, I didn't hear any of it's these disappointing i mean I, I i i know that there were i know that there were pieces of music that played underneath scenes right but i liked i liked the uh, the zimmer and zimmer's <clears throat> man of steel score better than this in um, fairness i i did I mean, I, I think okay. I could I could go with you there, but I didn't like I didn't like Zimmer's score for Man of Steel at oh, all. Oh no, and and, and I th and there's some real criticism, valid criticisms there. I think, but um, so this this is uh, if if I had to, my biggest okay, in fairness, my biggest complaint about the film is the score, closely followed. <laughs> probably okay, by the guys. same one by my my number two here all right so here's 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 the thing you got to know going in yeah i think it's i think it's only fair um this film is long and i am someone who is very much a fan of giving a story time to breathe I don't require a fast-paced story. Just give me something where it moves along. Depends on the project. Depends on the film. Some stories unfold slower than others. That's fine. Yeah. I think that this film is 20 minutes too long. Agreed. And I still want to watch it again. Well, and the funny thing is that you know you and I talk about sometimes the the need for certain scenes to breathe, mm -hmm. yeah. and in this one, every scene breathes, and they all breathe a little bit too much. 
Um, we talked about as editors, we were like, uh, you, you, you walked out, you're like, as an editor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cut, well, come the, in later, cut earlier. The biggest, the biggest problem that I have with it, uh, in in terms of uh, of the length of the thing and the 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 scenes and and how long they take is the pace mm-hmm. and not just the pace of the story and the pace of the film the pace of the scenes but the pace of the people walking into the room. I, I I had to demonstrate this for Mrs. Boss because we were talking about it, you know how it was. And I said, you know, the the movie would be probably a good fifteen or twenty minutes shorter if people walked normally like people walk. But everybody's a, everybody is there's a staginess slow. to certain scenes. Yeah, there's a staginess to certain scenes that that I think really drags the pace down yeah now that said okay make we want to be very clear for me this does not diminish the fact that i like this movie this is a this is a criticism this is a this is a quibble mm-hmm. this is a i think a legitimate criticism that more you know you and i aren't the only ones to feel this way yeah that doesn't mean i don't think it's a good movie because i do oh yeah no no question it is it is a very good movie it's a good Batman movie, um, and it's but you know, it's twenty minutes. But too it's long. twenty minutes too long. Yeah, and <laughs> and the I let me let me send you because we're we're using Zoom. Uh, I'm going to send you a question in the chat before I bring this up in conversation. So, mm-hmm. um, uh. I'm going to I'm going to ask if we should mention this or not. So <clears throat> um, I would is, say that mm. I would say so Jason Jason has popped something up in the chat and and um there is <laughs> without saying too much remember how you felt at the end of the third Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> And this may <laughs> actually, and 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 quite frankly, there's a reason. The reason I say that because there are folks who found that the last part of that movie to be very frustrating, uh-huh. and there were folks who liked it because it it had it had a sense of finality for a bunch of different storylines, right? Yeah. And so there's pros and cons to that kind of that kind of ending. Yeah. But there's pros and cons to the same kind to a similar kind of ending yeah. here. But yeah, it's yeah. Just, uh, to my to my point about everybody walking slow. Uh, Hex Allen says, have you guys watched or heard how the women walk in a handmaid's tale insufferable? I have I have not actually watched that show. Um, I have. Um, and and yeah, slow moving. Slow moving. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you dress people up as as anything resembling. Well, you know, and, a, 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 any kind of thing that looks sort of resembles a nun's habit, you're not expecting fast I, movement. So. I get through this, uh, probably, I, I guess we're in the first 20 minutes or so. <clears throat> and you and I talked about this afterwards, the fact that there's not really, there's not really 
Uh, and 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 Wolverine asked that question. I'm just getting to it. Uh, does the Batman contain literal slow motion along with strange music, Snyder style? We talked Maybe about two this. scenes. Yeah, there's Maybe there's two scenes of slow motion. Not very much slow motion, but they make up for it by walking slow in everything they else. They do. Um, and and so yeah, this is this is. Look, Matt Reeves is not in love with the slow motion shot the way that Snyder is. Yeah. I mean, Snyder has built a career on the slow motion shot. I'm not <laughs> knocking it. I'm just saying that he loves it and he uses it all the time. No. That's not what this movie is. But I mean, but it, it is, is one of those movies where, you know, they take I their could, time to get anywhere they're going. I could cut 20 minutes out of this film and still feel pretty good about what I've got left over. Yeah. But I feel, I mean, no, I, and I, and I think that actually the strength of the movie is that you could cut 20 minutes out and you would not have broke the movie. No, you, you cut, you cut 20 minutes out of it. And you have the same film. It's just a little tighter. And I get what but, Reeves is doing. I, you know, mm-hmm. because it's that we're, we're going to be very deliberate and methodical because it's a detective story. It's a mystery mm-hmm. and, and it's going to play out little bits and pieces because you're putting the puzzle together, but it's and, still too and to long. Be fair, some of these scenes actually really, really work with the slow <laughs> movement into a room that when mm-hmm. the initial shots, when, when you first and you see this in the trailer so this isn't this isn't right really spoilery you see batman moving into into one of the murder scenes with policemen all around him okay this film really establishes the tone and the relationship between jim gordon and batman and a significant chunk of the rest of the police force they're very different and you get that feeling of, of that you know, it, that's a mood building and, moment and it's you get very effective you get jim gordon and batman jim gordon and the cops you know the gotham cops and the cops and batman so it, all all three of those things are there and you get that right off the bat in just a couple of pieces of dialogue and, and, yeah, and in and, very little dialogue yeah that's it's it's very it's, it really sets a mood the problem is is that there are times when that kind of establishment of a scene happens where it doesn't really need to. No. Um, and it bring, does bring me to another couple quibbles here. Okay. I think they do a decent job of giving you a Jim, Jim Gordon's character. Uh, he's not, he's not the focus of the story. Mm-hmm. It's, but I think this is a film that could have benefited for a little bit more of Jim Gordon, but he's not, it's not important. That's, that's not, it's like, eh, okay. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me so much that that's what we got. Right. Alfred, on the other hand. Well, before, before you, before you do that, let me, let me, let me address that point because I do have uh, not really a complaint about Jim Gordon, but one of the things that we talked about on the on the on the back side of this, and I talked about this a little bit with with uh, with Mindy, is the fact that Jeffrey Wright is playing a police detective that could or could not be Jim Gordon. He's not distinctly Jim Gordon like you would expect to see any other Jim Gordon. It's just well, he's I mean, and he's not the police commissioner in this one, of course, but right. But part and of this is just focus. 
But yeah. but at the same time, he's the he's one of the few champions of Batman on the Force, right? Which is which is a Jim Gordon thing. So I and and but I didn't so, get a distinct Jim Gordon feel. It was like Jeffrey Wright could be playing any cop in this movie. So and and I I would say you're I I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I I again this is this is we come back to it's a villain origin story. It's mm-hmm. also a, it's sort of an origin story to, to a little bit to Jim Gordon and Batman's relationship. They've have a relationship before, but where it goes next. Yeah. Alfred, on the other hand, for me, um, and they do, the thing is, is that the scenes that they actually have with Andy circus, I think are very, very good. There's some interesting touches. There's the fact that it references in a line that's going to slip past a lot of people, his history in the intelligence community, in mm-hmm. the British spy circles. Yeah. He makes a reference. And so you're like, I said, folks, this, you could, this could easily slip past you. He references his time in the circus. He's not talking about the big top folks, right? The circus is one of the terms used to describe the British intelligence service. It's. And it, that's, so and that's earth one. That's Earth One, and there's also this the, the the dynamic between these two and the father son relationship that is often appears in the Batman and Bruce Wayne Alfred relationship is different here, and yet there's hints of it mm-hmm. in their relationship. There's a scene in particular in the film where you see how much these two guys actually do care about each other. Um, and it's and I just wanted more that... of that. I wanted more. Well, it's possible with all of this being origin stories everywhere, we get an origin for that as well. That we have the beginning well, of that going into right. the next film. And Alfred is uh, there's a reason why Alfred doesn't appear in part of the film, and I felt a little bit like on a script level, it's okay. Here's a character I don't have to deal with for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and. <clears throat> you know, it's it's one of those things. This I wanted more sir. I wanted more Andy Circus. Is essentially is what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, the the thing that I miss about this particular Alfred is the the sarcasm, because every other Alfred, to a certain extent, basically kind of pokes at Bruce to keep him a little bit more realistic in his expectations. Like, don't get so full of yourself. Don't believe your own press. You know, you look at, you read, you read uh, uh, Batman Year One from Frank Miller and, you know, <clears throat> Bruce is doing one-arm push-ups on the floor and Alfred's reading the paper about sleep deprivation causing, you know, mental illness. My, 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 my. You know, it's, it's those kind of things. I miss that. I I like having that little bit of snark in Alfred. And, and just I think that just maybe, to just to poke him a little bit. Just to if just he'd to been on the him, screen more, then maybe, maybe we would have got that. Well, maybe. I don't know. I didn't I get mean, that it's sense. Hard to tell with there was a couple of places where you could have had something of that in there, and it wasn't. Well, it's a little more. This Alfred is less sarcastic and a little more overtly critical. Yeah. And and there's and that's fine. That's I mean we'll have to see how it develops because of course this is the first movie, right? right? And as that relationship so. plays out and and we get more of the yes we actually do care about each other then maybe we'll get some of that. 
Right. So. And and quite frankly, I think that the the maybe maybe they thought with this that the bat that Bruce Wayne's Batman at this stage in his career, that's not what Alfred needed to be giving him. Yeah. And 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 I can I can see that. And I and I'm fine yeah, with that. Right. But but yeah. And Mantoine uh late is is fine. You know, there's always the there's always the replay button, but uh we're that's glad right. you're here anyway. And and everybody else is here in the chat. Uh, we're glad you're here as well. Um, dare Rumors dare about we a dare we even put this question up on the screen? I think we dare. We dare. Uh, what about those rumors about a certain character making an appearance at the end of the film? Well, there are there are in fact such rumors. <laughs> yes, there, there are rumors, and there are characters that are at the end of the film who may or may not be. <laughs> um, and and quite frankly. Um, how do we say this? Uh, that may or may not be a good thing that they may or may not be because ambiguity is yeah. not always a bad thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> There's, I mean, okay, so the, the, the thing is you've got, you've got to remember too, Batman has, Batman has a very fully formed rogues gallery. And I thought it was really interesting that we led with the Riddler this time and not mm-hmm. the Joker or Catwoman. I mean, Catwoman's in it, the Penguin's in it, but they're not they're not their full villain form. And Catwoman really I mean, you never even hear her I don't even I don't even think they call her Catwoman in this in this no. picture anywhere. But no, they she's, have she's the, a cat burglar. <clears throat> she's a cat burglar. And she's skilled. She's able mm-hmm. to fight and you know, she's got the cats in the apartment and all of that. But um, there's not uh, there's not a penguin in this movie yet. He's still right. he's still not you know he's not a crime boss. He's he's on his way there. He's on that trajectory. But and he's... he is legitimately one of the funniest characters in a film that does <laughs> not have a there's 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 humor in this movie. Okay, it is not all darkness and, and yeah. gloom yeah. and things like that there is humor there's some very very funny moments where you know you don't necessarily think of, of robert pattison as being funny anyway he's not known for doing great com- a lot of comedy roles but he's, he's got, got there's some comic timing moments where he's just like he yeah. says lines in certain ways just very deadpan that it's like uh, yeah there there's a couple of places that he he actually does does deliver a joke and it's right. not really a joke. It's a it's a line that creates humor in the scene, um, right? But so. but uh, the penguin the penguin has got arguably the funniest line in the movie, uh, and the audience we were with with, the, with these the uh, folks at the preview what we watched that w- everybody in the theater laughed because it was legitimately uh, it, it has to do with a, a translation uh, uh, speaking in speaking in a foreign language. <laughs> And um, the look, Colin Farrell disappears yeah. into this role. Colin yeah. Farrell, if, if we're talking about performances in this movie, the person who disappeared into a role that looks nothing like, I mean, you if you did not know Colin Farrell was playing this part, you would not see it in his appearance, his physicality, his voice. He vanishes yeah. into Cobblepot. Yeah. And I think he does a brilliant job in this film. I saw and he's a meme. Very funny. I saw a meme 
and it's and it's really funny. It's they go through all of this, and I'm, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. They go through all of this trouble with makeup and and prosthetics and all of this stuff so that Colin Farrell ends up looking like Richard Kind. Why didn't they just hire Richard Kind? You know, <laughs> you know what? And I can he see really it. He does. I can see it. I was yeah. like, why didn't they hire Richard Kind? I mean, th- that because would actually I- be an interesting casting because, yeah, Colin Farrell always does the dramatic stuff and, you know, Colin Farrell's moody and, and he has Irish and whatever. But can you imagine Richard Kind in that particular penguin yes. role? Yes, I could. I really could. I yeah. think he and I think he he would do amazing at it. I, th- that's it's really interesting. And I'm actually the idea of spinning Penguin off in his own HBO Max series. I was kind of hesitant about the idea, and I'm mm. still not like sold on it entirely. But having watched Colin Farrell do this, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, give me six, eight episodes of that. I want I want to see. I want to see him evolve into this world's penguin yeah. because he he's, he's really good on camera and he's the, the his performance of the penguin was really interesting. Um, and for and those I of you Zoe who Kravitz is Catwoman. Yeah. And, and for those of you who are not familiar with Richard kind, he hasn't been on very much lately. Um, uh, Spin city. I think the biggest difference would be, <clears throat> he did a turn on Stargate Atlantis. The age, his age at this point is really the only thing that that would be holding him back from doing a three picture deal as the penguin. Yeah, uh, maybe. But um, yeah. Zoe Kravitz, I really enjoyed her as as Selena Kyle. There um, is there physically, is a... she was great. Yeah, I mean, her phys- I mean, I'm yeah. sure she had stunt people involved as well. Everybody does, but I think she her physicality um, and her chemistry. This is always a concern when you're looking at chemistry between characters mm-hmm. and you're looking at chemistry between iconic characters like a relationship between batman and catwoman and again we're yes. looking at early days and these characters first how these characters first meet and i think that they established enough chemistry between these two that when you have the conf- inevitable conflict arise and i'm not going to go into what that conflict entails in this particular film it's scenes that actually play out, I think, very well. I think, I think, I think, she does a very nice job in the role, and I'm looking forward. To, I, yeah. I would like to see her come back. Well, she's going to get an sequel. HBO Max project. Right. <clears throat> They're talking about. I, th- I don't know if it's a, a if it's a limited series or if it's a film, but HBO Max, she's going to show up there. Uh, Wolverine says Richard Kind was in Gotham. I, pl- I believe he played the mayor. I think you're right. I think he did play the mayor in yeah. Gotham. Uh, so he does so, have those connections there to to the to the. To the, the I mean, and I think that some some of the factor goes into. Um, well, okay, I would say this normally. Normally, some of the factor goes into. Can you cast someone who can play multiple parts over multi, that, that part over multiple films over multiple periods of time? Yeah. And one of the things they did here that we didn't actually have lately for Batman in live action is casting younger mm-hmm. right um and that's there's there's two things that happen when you cast younger for this kind of story it's fairly believable you got a batman in the second year of being batman because he doesn't look like he's in his 40s um <laughs> and you also have longevity of the actor playing the role over 
six years, nine years, right. 12 years, whatever, <clears throat> however long it takes to get. Assuming you know, something doesn't years. happen to him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Same thing with Zoe Kravitz. Now, Colin Farrell in this makeup, um, I'm not going to say nobody else could play the, anybody could play the part because it doesn't matter. The, underneath all that, that prosthetics is Colin Farrell's performance, which yeah. is very, very good. So, um, but at the same time, um, Colin Farrell is, oh, Colin Farrell is what, maybe a couple years younger than us? A couple uh, years. Uh, I mean, he's he's in our ballpark in terms of age, right? I mean, he's not, he's in his, he's not a super young guy. Colin um, Farrell was born in 1976. Okay, he's a, he's he's six years older than we are. Six years younger, yeah, younger than, than we. Are. So so even since even even in six years younger than than he is, you know, he's got you know, his penguin is someone who he he's playing older in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know who else could disappear into the into the makeup of the prosthetics if anything were to happen to Colin Farrell? They just call Gary Oldman. But then you, right. ooh, then you could, then you could have, you could have, oh, no. Mm. I just had, cast Gary Oldman as Clayface. And then you have a scene where he tries to turn into this universe's Commissioner Gordon and it doesn't quite work, but he looks like his <laughs> Commissioner Gordon. from, the, And, and, and they stop and they turn and look at the screen together and they turn back and go back to their scene. Um <laughs> That would be funny. Now, that would be very funny. here's here's the concern that I have with regard to Jim Gordon, mm. because you've got the Batgirl project that's shooting right now for HBO Max, sure. mm-hmm. and we've seen photographs of uh, J.K. Simmons on set in two different time periods. We're mm-hmm. seeing the J.K. Simmons Commissioner Gordon that we've that we've got in Zack Snyder's Justice League, right. And we have a younger-looking Gordon with full head of red hair, not gray. So we know we're going to get at least some kind of either a, a, a setup scene or a flashback or something. And and the photographs right. that we've seen with with Keaton's Batman on set has Gordon has younger Gordon. So right. what I'm what I'm not necessarily concerned about, but what we're going to end up getting is Jeffrey Wright's Jim Gordon in the Gotham PD show, which mm-hmm. may or may not happen, but it's probably going to move forward. And a lot of this depends on how how good this movie does at the box office. But right. we're going to sure. have two different projects on HBO Max with two different Jim Gordons. And two different Batman. And two different Batman. So, or or three, the, depending on on how they play that out. Right. So I think you, I think this is this is the potential risk for the DC treating it like a multiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's the same benefit that uh, because you've got um, in the in the comic books, like right now, yeah, you can read. You know, um, I don't know. There's, I think there's four or five. Batman series, and you can argue that there's maybe too much Batman being published in DC right now, but at least a couple of them are not set in the main continuity. So you can, if Mm. you're, you know, you, you can go off and read these series and then read the other series and you know, you're not in the same continuities. You're just getting two different stories. How film 
audiences and TV audiences react to that is a good question. Yeah. And, it's a different medium. And and to that point, Comics by Perch, uh, Perch did a, a video here not too long ago about comic sales recently, you know, all of the stuff. And looking at the DC, out of the top 50 DC titles that were that are selling in any way, shape, or form, depending, I mean, they're not selling well, but the top 50 DC titles, 48 of them are Batman. In this some is, kind some... of some kind of variation or version, there's a Batman title that many, and you know we make we make the joke now with more Batman, you know, and and we're it's just a... finding out that the DC offices, the DC Comics offices, are being vacated mm-hmm. because Warner Brothers decided they've got better use for the space, and everybody's gonna they're gonna move they're into gonna this other place. They're yeah, hot desk it. and I think we'll have to see what happens with that. But... That's you know, and some people, and, and and as much as I hate to credit Bleeding Cool with anything, this this is where the story is. And Rich Johnston has an interesting speculation, given that ne- uh, uh, April is when the Warner Media Discovery deal happens, mm. and we got the new CNN boss coming in in May. But a lot of people are saying because we know that the CW could be on the chopping block; they could sell sure. that. Mm-hmm. We've heard. You know, and and as much as, you know, whatever you may think of Ethan Van Skyver, he still talks to people who work at D.C. And he's convinced that at some point Warner Brothers is going to sell D.C. Comics. And now you've got this where they're hot desking the D.C. Comics offices and most of the creatives are going to work remotely. And you come in and you grab a desk or whatnot. And Rich Johnston is, is saying, you know, there's no there's no explanation for why they're doing all of this. But one particular piece of speculation is they're moving them out and doing this in order to consolidate either DC Comics and DC Films together or Mm. DC Comics and the DC merchandise all gets together to consolidate them to prep to sell them. Could be. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is I think that the industry changes and um, I mean, that's I all mean, pure the, speculation at this point, but, you know. That's, oh, yeah. Well, that's... and I think that, you know, we also have to bear in mind that, you know, it, all this stuff goes through phases, right? There's Marvel. Marvel went through this, too, with now with more Wolverine. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and of course, the the course of the, the complete, you know, th- the nightmare fuel part of this is remembering that at one point Marvel was bankrupt. Uh huh. And so the the. DC Comics is going to continue in some form or another. It just may not be the form that it has been. And quite frankly, the considering considering the publishing world in general, the fact that we have had <laughs> DC Comics exist as a thing on as it has been for as long as it has Marvel Comics existing as a thing, Image even even with its I mean its relatively short comparative run. Yeah, Image. The is fact that you've now. had these comic companies exist the way they have when the media landscape has changed as much as it has is a little surprising well especially given the uh, the 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 apparent looking from the outside in priorities that these companies have given to the comics that they publish 
you know, and, and, you know, as much as whatever, whatever you want to say about the kinds of stories that are being told from the internal stuff, as far as on the editorial side, you know, the fact that you've got terrible art in some of these books, you've got assistant editors who have no background in comics whatsoever, and they're in their 20s. And they've got no, they've got no track record. They've got no background. Yeah, okay, maybe you read comic books, and maybe you, maybe you wrote a blog about comic books. But you, you know, Marvel and DC both each need a Jim Shooter type to come in and sit there and say, okay, it's time that we actually look at this business as a business because it, we've gotten back to that point where nobody, like you were saying. A lot of these are, you know, they're not, well, they've been talking about it in various different places. The people that are in comics right now are not lifers. They're young. This is a stepping stone. This is their Netflix pitch. This is, you know, do this to get another gig someplace else. And, And they're not taking the business of comic books seriously. This is an IP they can exploit for television if, and film and, and 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 video games and music videos or whatever, but they're not looking at the the comic book as the important part of this when it's the source material without which you don't have anything else. I, and, and I can see that argument, and I would disagree with parts of it. But I think one of the things that you also have to bear in mind that we and I was a book dealer for fifteen years, right, guys? I was I was a retail book dealer for ten of those. I was a, worked for Borders. I saw how the industry was the publishing industry and the magazine industry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was changing and cast your mind back to the, <laughs> to the distant period of 10 years ago. Yeah. All right. And count how many magazines were on the shelf at any newsstand or bookstore and how many are on the shelf now. Print publishing outside of books the magazine publishing industry contracted hugely. Yeah, I mean, and it did just it like, quickly too. And it did it quickly. And so a huge number of, of long-running, very popular magazines suddenly stopped mm-hmm. because they didn't. The, the money wasn't there in advertising dollars to keep them going. Things were moving online. The fact that we have managed to get physical copies of comics still being sold is personally, I love it because I like physical copies of comics, Mm -hmm. but I am constantly amazed that we are still getting physical copies of comics because the way the, the way that leaving outside anything about leaving, you know, ignore, just put comics as a segment of a print publishing industry that the contraction on that has been so sharp yeah. And so significant, the fact that we're getting physical comics at all is kind of amazing to me. And I keep expecting them every day to go all digital because... Except, except yeah, but except if, if you look at the success of crowdfunding, not just comics, but you know, short stories and, and, and sure, uh, sure. other things, I think there's still very much a market for printed material. And I, and I think they, I think DC and, and, and Marvel understand that there is always going to be a segment of the market 
that wants to hold a book in their hands and turn the pages. Sure. And, but and there's always going to be people the market, Is that segment of the market big enough to justify the, the how things are done now? It could be. It has the potential to be if the comics industry decides that they want to chase that audience. See, it's, 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 well, a, it, you know, it's a chicken and egg thing. It's like we talked about with the movies. Okay, you've got this giant, gargantuan, billion-dollar movie. You know, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Avengers, all of that. You should have a comic book kiosk in every lobby of every movie theater that's showing a Marvel film or a DC film or a, or, so. or a Valiant film. I mean, Bloodshot is, okay. is, a, no, Valiant, you, is a Valiant comic book... Character. You need to make a good bloodshot movie. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, in principle, though, you've got these films oh, sure. that are based on comic books. You should go out and have a spinner rack in the lobby that says, hey, kids, comics, and, and so, do that. But... And if the marketing opportunity and the marketing potential that these movies and TV shows have to sell the comic books they're based on just sure. flashes by all of these people. It's like, why would you give them... Why? It's like free comic book day. You could print a free comic book day gimme mm -hmm. that's twelve pages long, sixteen pages long, or whatnot, and it's and it's it doesn't have to be this really you know it doesn't have to be a serialized fifteen thousand issues with twelve hundred variant covers. You just give me a free comic book day thing just to give people a taste. It's like, look here, you sure. like Thor? Here's a Thor comic. I think the, the, the issue, I think, for, and this is an issue that you find, whether it's comics in self-publishing or books in self-publishing or, or independent film or anything where you are, you are the person providing the content, is you have to deliver it. You have to deliver it on time. Sure. You have to deliver a quality product on time. Um, but, and especially in the wonderful world of, of things like Indiegogo and, and Kickstarter, where you are giving folks a schedule and this yeah. is this is like and this is this is not limited to comics guys this is i've been again anything crowdfunded yeah anything crowd any anything self-published crowdfunded anything where you where you ask someone you ask your your audience to give you money to, to produce the thing um you run a risk of losing that audience if you don't deliver what you say when you're going when you say you're going to do it yeah some folks will wait and that's fine. Some folks won't. And that's a risk you take as a creator. Part, part of that. And that's a concern you have to deal with. Part of that is communicating with them. Because if you're if you're the one putting it together, and I've seen this a lot where, where a lot of people will complain, if you've got a delay on a project, if it's late, it's late, it's late. A lot of people will sit there and say, as long as they're keeping us updated on what progress they're making, I'm okay waiting, oh. but... It's people, that people it's, yeah. it's it's well, it's like it's like the criticism that Brightweisers had where it's, you, you know, where is the book? And for a while they weren't getting any updates on the project and they finally did. And, and you know, Mitch came on our show and talked about, you know, where they were with all of that. And, yeah. you know, they've got the books out and, and they've done other things since. And they seem to have kind of found their footing with everything that they were dealing with. But right. the the idea here is that as long as there's communication between the publisher, the creator, the person who's making the thing, and the people who are interested in buying the thing, 
you got a little bit of leeway, and especially when you, have you come out, you have a little bit of leeway. You have a little. You still bit. have to eventually deliver the product. Yes. And and, yes. and this is again, guys. This is not limited to comics. Okay. This is this is any media. You're seeing it in crowdfunding all the time, and unfortunately, and I will not get on my little. I will not get on my my crypto NFT <laughs> soapbox where I where I can just complain about it all the time. But unfortunately, it's extended to that, and and there's a there's a lot more money yeah. involved in that sort of thing. But it's the same thing. It's the creator telling you, I'm, and look. You see it with movie studios too, okay? Sure. We're gonna we're putting out this movie, and then the movie disappears. Okay, that you you didn't invest in that movie, but you're disappointed anyway. Yeah. It's it's just it's it moves to a whole other level yeah. when you've put your hard earned money into somebody else's project. And uh, I'm sorry, Jason. Who was it on Saturday morning? Um, we were you were talking to Rick, you interviewed Rick him. Offenberger. Okay, Rick, Rick was talking G, about how G-Man Comics. Yeah, so he was talking about the content has been made. They've mm -hmm. they've written they've written and drawn the comics. Yeah, before they go to crowdfunding, and um, I think that that when you look at some of the the folks who've been really successful in crowdfunding, I'm not talking about successful in raising money. I'm talking about successful in delivering product to the people. Yeah. A lot of them have done that. Not everyone. Some and, of them have, have and I've but seen, a lot of them have. And I've seen a lot of discussion in Hex Allen Comics. I've been waiting for Star Citizen since 2013. Uh, there are people who are waiting, who are still waiting for B. Clay Moore's book from how many years ago now? Ten. Oh, sure. Sure. But the the idea, and I've seen a lot of discussion. I, I I watch a lot of streams from a number of different people that are talking about this stuff. Because mainly because we're talking about doing it. You know, we're talking about doing a print uh, a print magazine that we're going to crowdfund and we're going to go through and do this same kind of thing. It's not just comics. It's every, you know, every sure. anybody can do this kind of thing. So the I've had my ear to the ground talking, you know, talking with some people, watching the various different discussions. And the general movement seems to be toward like what you're talking about. Have the book as close to being done as you can before before you're done with the 30 days or the 60 days or whatever to to raise the money because mm -hmm. by that time if if the you know the script is done most of the artwork's done if really the only thing that you've got done, left to do is like the lettering and the layout right. that you know it goes to print then you you've got a much lower risk of the book not getting done, and I and I've seen a lot more conversations for people who are talking about that's that's generally the model that we think maybe works best, and, but not and, everybody and is a, there a, yet. Now a lot of it depends it, on how much money you've got to start with before right, you actually risk. get going. Yeah, there's a risk because if you're you know if you're if you if you are not able to do all the work yourself, and not everybody is, you, there are people who are writers, there are people who are artists, they're not necessarily the same people. There are people who are inkers and colorists and, and editors, and they're not necessarily the same people. Some folks can do it all, some folks can't. And that's fine, that's great. That's more work for more people. But the thing is, of course, is that asking someone to do that is their time mm. getting paid. But at the same time, you and I both come from, have. Uh, in this production side of things and we are very regularly in the position of we do the work 
then we get paid. Yeah. Um, and for example, I, I had a, a meeting with a, uh, an old school theater guy who's, who wants to have some video work at the, the, the latter part of his life. He wants to get some of his, his routines and stuff on camera. And so I'm going to shoot that for him. And he was like, I forgot to bring the check for you. And I'm like, I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> right? I mean, I would please, by all means, if you want to give me money, yeah. that's great, but I haven't done anything yet. So that's I've, I've got a project. It's funny. We were talking about this today. Um, I've got a project that I did. <sighs> three years ago now and never finished it because pandemic hit and everything closed sure. and all of the stuff that we were promoting was this stuff, all of these activities that you have out at the park and this and that and come see. Right. And right. I finished up to a point, but I didn't finish the whole thing sure. before everything got shut down, but I got paid for it. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I really need to finish that. I, I, I really would like to finish it because I got well, paid yes. for it. I'd really like to deliver all of what was expected. Right. It was just, I, yeah. So, well, hey, and, and I think it's, I think it's just one of those things where crowdfunding, you know, self-publishing has been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and while I know there are a lot of folks really excited about the crowdfunding model now, um, it's not, it's a, your ability to get other people's money involved is bigger than it used to be, no question. But the same principles apply to the folks who are doing it on their own. Yeah. If you advertise a product, deliver the product. Yeah. And if you can do that, yeah. people will keep coming back for more. And it's how it's well, it's how publishing is built, period. Well, yeah, whether well, it's you, like anything, they... any, not, not just publishing, right. any kind of product. You've got a widget. Right. I'm I want to sell this widget. You're gonna buy the widget. Right. I've got to deliver it. So, um, which is why I'm not concerned that, that, that the, I mean, I'm not, of course I'm concerned, yeah. but I'm not as concerned as some other people that how comic book, the comic book industry is changing. Um, it's the fact that it stayed essentially the same as it has for most of my life mm -hmm. is again, yeah. having been inside the publishing side, the, 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 the business side of the publishing world, um, just on, you know, just on a bookstore level. Um, and seeing all that change, I, I was there when the internet was like, internet is going to destroy physical bookstores. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it didn't, it did, it did, it did destroy sorta. some, Yeah, but there were some that, that you know, so, yeah. so the, the comic book shops closing, it's just, it's disappointing always to me, the industry changing, it's interesting and sometimes disappointing for me, but I don't stress out in the way that I, and I, and I get why people are. I yeah. completely understand that. Well, and you're not but a creator in that space too. So that may have something. I'm to not do a creator in that space. Um, I, I am not, I wish I was, I've, I've got an art degree and everything, but I'm not good at sequential art yeah. there. That's a skill set. I don't have. Well, we could write a comic did, book and we could write a comic book and hire a, hire a sequential artist. I mean, could, Hex, Hex I Allen just... says, I'm not going to crowdfund anymore. Indiegogo is now turned into a store. There's a risk if you're doing everything in life gets in the way. He says he'll deliver, just can't get away from the discussion. I'm done after this current campaign. And the other, the other part of that too is, you know, every experience and and the the crowdfunding people that I've seen talking about this are at various different levels of expertise and experience with sure. creating comic books. There are some people that mm -hmm. are doing it for the very first time, and then you got people like Brian Polito who've been doing it for the last 15 years or whatever. Right. And every single creator who has crowdfunded a book 
or a series of books, more than one, we're on our 12th book or whatever, every single campaign, they learn something that they can take to the next campaign. So it's what, a constant what, process of refining and so, and tweaking yes. and stuff. So Hex Allen, hopefully don't yes. give up. I, I, well, I know it's discouraging, but you know there are other there are other models out there too. But Indiegogo, right? I say make the decision is, that's best yeah. for you and your creative your creative path. Yeah, Do, yeah. That, that's the decision to make. Um, you know, so we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. The industry, like I said, the industry's the fact that the fact that I'm you know I've been reading comics since I was I don't know four, and uh, um, it's it stayed as stable as it did. And yeah. Marvel has the success that it has after the '90s. I think that you know. Well, and and we've wild got world. and and what we've got here is you know the expectation for this particular movie, you know you talk about delivering the goods, uh, they're looking at you know this is a this article in Variety, uh, they're targeting in in the in the body of the article they're saying they're estimating somewhere between a hundred and a hundred and twenty five million dollars domestic box office this weekend, which is pretty good performance, pretty strong. So, uh, well, and, and I think that, I think there's a, you never know. Okay. Yeah. Let's tell you, we, we both know that there have been some really good films that have not made the box office they deserved and some really not great films that have been huge, huge hits. I hope this film is successful because I want to see the next part of the story Yeah, yeah. with this cast. So, yeah. And Matt says, I don't see how some of these guys do it. It's certainly a full-time job. It is. And and ha I have not done the crowd. We did a we did a crowdfunding campaign once. It didn't go mm -hmm. up very well, and it was not for a book. Uh, right. But it was a learning experience. And yes, it is it is a full time thing. But it's like anything else because what we do here, for me uh, anyway, is pretty much a full time thing. I mean, when I'm up in the morning, I'm prepping for bunker and after bunker, I've got to convert it to the podcast platforms. And then Monday night I get ready for this show. And yeah, you know, all of these right. things where I'm, I'm constantly, you know, going through, going through social media, going through email, finding the stories to do prep for Saturday and, and doing prep for, for bunker and you, you and mm -hmm. Leslie doing prep for, for foreign bodies uh, which is going to be on Saturday, by the way. Yep. So it is It is a lot of work. It is a lot of effort. It does take time. And especially if you've got a day job that you've got to work around all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. So It's, 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 a, it's a commitment. And, and as artists, <clears throat> that is often part of what you just build into your lives, that commitment to do the thing. So yeah. and, I and there you, are if, days you, if you guys are doing sleep. it, then... If you guys are doing it, then I say, then do whatever you can to, 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 to make what you want to do. Yeah. Personally, I'd recommend, uh, uh, you know, do the work before you ask for the money, but you know, <laughs> do, do what, do what works for do, you. Right? Do as much as you can as, as long as you can. Right. I, yeah. I guess it and, would be a way of saying that. As somebody who who has not made enough short films in the last six years, <laughs> six years, Jason, that's not my fault. Um, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's 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 just the way the world worked out. Yeah. And between a job and the pandemic, these are things have 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 gotten in the way of my doing my storytelling. Yeah. And so I've been very excited about getting more and more back into it, but I'm still not at the point where I'm ready to start my next film project. And I'm just like, so I get it. I completely understand it, guys. 
It, well, I feel, one of I these, feel your pain. One of these days, maybe we'll maybe we'll crowdfund a, a sci-fi for me original story, an original short film. We'll start small. We'll do short film. Not we'll start. A, not a, so, oh, yeah, start start small yeah. with the short films. Speaking of which, uh, for for the tip jar, if, if anybody wants to give us money, that's fine. I mean, that's that's uh, welcome, but not expected. We do have a tip jar. We've got subscribe star. Uh, we do invite you to sign up for the newsletter. You can do that over at the main page of sci-fi for me.com. And uh, the link is also in all of the show notes that we do. We're on four video platforms and 10 social media platforms. That's way too much. Uh, but uh, I believe in not having all my eggs in one basket, especially after what I heard about what YouTube was doing today. Did you hear it? Did you hear the latest? I have not heard the latest. So there's this thing called YouTube Premium. Uh-huh, and I'm sure. going to you, you're paying for YouTube. It's it's the paid YouTube side of this. It's not YouTube right. Red. So, it's YouTube Paid, whatever. Right, right, uh-huh, right. So somebody was talking, uh, apparently got his got his account suspended. And because he's got a YouTube channel. Mm. And I don't know what happened, but his YouTube channel gets suspended. And he's still getting charged for the YouTube premium oh, account cool. that he can no longer access because his channel was suspended and his Google account was suspended. Not just, not just oh. the YouTube his Google account was suspended R- wrong thing or whatever, whatever reason, because YouTube being YouTube, they don't ever give a reason. It was just, you violated the terms of service, but they're still charging him for the YouTube premium, which he can now no longer access at all. I mean, he can't even log into the account. Mm. And he's like, well, I need to can't, I need to, I want to, we got to cancel it. Well, you'd go through this rigmarole and he can't cancel it because his channel's suspended. It's like, okay, how do I do this then? Because in the, in the, uh, Richard Hogue did a video on it here, uh, uh, today. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty thorough examination of the problem. But YouTube does so much to create problems that it doesn't need. <laughs> it is it is uh, steadily Still. steadily becoming uh, very unfriendly to creators. So well, this is a, this is this is a side effect, unfortunately, of companies scaling up as large as they do and then relying on automation as opposed to having live human beings to do it. And, and I get it. I get it. Automation is cheaper and it's yeah. it's, you know, it saves, it saves a big company money, uh, a lot of money, but at the same time, it's folks, the, the good news is, <laughs> is that the AI apocalypse, if it comes on, upon us, it's, it's yeah. But the thing <laughs> is it's, it's going to fail because they're, they're the, their GPS is going to put them in the middle of a field mm-hmm. The AI, the AI is going to malfunction. Let me, and, uh... let me, let me, <laughs> let me throw this out there. This is something we talked about today on, on bunker, uh, live from the bunker today. We did our 2000 subscriber celebration. We, we just, you know, kind of did our little, uh, you know, tooting our own horn there today. But one thing, one thing that I've noticed over the weekend, I've, I get, I get these ads for this new app called replicant. And I don't know if you've seen this or not. This is an AI. No. No, no. Well, see, and 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 it it troubles me. Well, first of it's all, called, let's, it's called let's start with the name. I know. It, well, it's exactly what it is. You create 
an artificial intelligence driven friend on your phone. Somebody that you can talk to, somebody that you can interact with. It takes all of your personal information and it bas- it's it's the movie Her, you know, where you've got this artificial intelligence that becomes this friend of yours. It's not just the movie Her. That's a whole bunch of 1980s science fiction horror movies. Right. But I, I, I address this on today's show, and I'm going to say this here as well, because what troubles me is it's got over 5 million downloads. And I can assume that a few of them are downloading it for laughs, and they're going to they're going to get some giggles out of it and they create their friend and whatever. But I, I'm having a tough time wrapping my head around the idea that there are so many people out there who don't have a friend in real life that they feel like they have to download this thing, because I know that there are going to be some people like that, too. Well, on one hand, well, I mean, 5 million, in the grand scheme of, of the total population of the planet, 5 million is not much. It, see, it, it's a it, lot of yeah, people. But I, yeah, but, I know. But, but hold on, hold on. I, I could very easily believe that there is a percentage of those people who are introverts, who, are, who have issues making friends, et right. cetera, et cetera. There might be some therapeutic benefit for those folks out of this, and I don't discount that. I, yeah, and, I'm, and, and, and I've I wish, seen I some people argue that. Best. I've seen some people but, say that there could be some benefit to that, but but um, as someone who was born in 1970 and loves technology, loves the advances of technology, loves the cool things we can do now because mm-hmm. some of it is science fiction and neat. Yeah. And and the thing is, um, we have kind of gotten this point where we're so used to information, our information being out in the world that we don't necessarily see the downsides. Mm-hmm. Not enough people see, no, I'm saying that wrong. Too many people don't seem to understand the risks of having that much information in the hands of, of a system algorithm. that you don't 100% control. Yeah, And I'm not telling you, live your life, do what you're gonna do folks, that's fine. But yeah, and please, I, and please, please be aware when you are putting out, if you're giving all your information <laughs> to an app, yeah. tr- do, can you trust that app? And the answer is, generally speaking, no, <laughs> no. Uh, well, and I put this out there today and, and, and I said, you know, if you are in a position where you feel like you have to download and create a friend instead of having a friend. We've, we've got email, we've got direct messaging on our socials, you know, at the very least, I mean, I'm not offering therapy, I'm not offering, offering counseling, but if you, if you are that strapped for friendship and you need somebody to talk to, send us a message because I don't want anybody, especially anybody in our audience, but anybody in general, I don't want them thinking like they've got nobody that they can talk to. Well, and, and, and the, the, the corollary to that is there is a tendency in this country and not only in this country to look at asking for help to be a sign of weakness. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It is a sign of strength. 
Okay. If you are, if you, if you are able to ask for help, that's, it's, it's a hard decision to make. And as someone who was in therapy for four years and needed to be, I will always tell you, if you can, if you need help, ask for help. And if you, if you're afraid to ask for help, don't be. Yeah. Because there are people out there. Um, there are some folks who can do it for free. There are some folks who obviously you, you're paying for, 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 for the care. Um, there are, there are avenues out there for you. And um, we would much rather you be healthy mentally and emotionally and physically. Um, so you can come and read our stuff and watch our shows. And yeah. Talk this stuff with us. So yeah, take let's, care of yourself, let's, guys. let's leave the, let's leave the, uh, the dressing up in costumes and, and rampaging around vigilante style to the, to the, to the fiction world. <laughs> so, yeah. but anyway, yeah, definitely, definitely. If, if anybody, if you need, if you need help with anything and, and you know, I'm not saying that we've got the resources to help people, but we have, we have contacts with people who can probably, do some of that and at the very least it's just somebody who sits there and says you know you're not by yourself in the world so uh but definitely yeah we we want to make sure that you you guys are okay because these last couple of years there are a lot of people who are not okay so yeah that's true all right, with that, we will close. Uh, real quick uh, reminder that we've got Live from the Bunker tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central. And then on Saturday, we have both the Good Morning Multiverse at uh, 11 a.m. Eastern and Foreign Bodies at 1 p.m. Eastern. I think we've got one this week. And you guys are going to be, where are y'all talking? Where are y'all going this week? We're going to talk about folk horror. We've seen a lot of that pop up in the horror space lately. Uh, and in film, which is great, um, but it's it's not necessarily when when you're thinking of horror, you don't necessarily think of folk horror. Except there's a whole bunch of it. It's yeah. it's and some a lot of a lot of the really great horror films have their roots in folk horror. So yeah. we're gonna play in that space because there's a there's a huge list of folk horror <laughs> that we're like ooh stuff to play with. Yeah, there's a lot of that. All right, so that's coming up on Saturday. And then uh, we got some other stuff in in the works. We'll we'll let you know. Uh, so if if normally this show does not go this long, those of you who are still hanging with us, thank you for being here. Thanks everybody in the chat for being here and your comments and thoughts along the way. And if you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, and connect with us on at least a couple of the social media channels because we do put out announcements and links and and that sort of thing, just so you know what's going on. So that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you very much for being here on this extended discussion of the Batman. Hopefully we didn't put out too many spoilers. I think we did okay. Go watch the movie, guys. Go watch the movie, definitely. I, I, pl- I plan to go see it again. I do too. Uh, we'll, uh, and this is this is a see it on the big screen too, by the way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, de- go go to the theater, see it. You know, get your popcorn, get your get your goobers and, and uh, have a good milk time. duds. Have a good time. We'll be back next week. Good night, everyone. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi for Me Radio. 